welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. Question for you. What is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? So my story is that when I was uh, five years old, I grew up in a great Christian home, and so my parents, like good Christian parents at that time, had lots of Christian sing-along tapes, which is great. And I would listen to these all the time as a kid. I love them. And uh, at the end of one of these tapes, there was a short gospel presentation with an invitation to, hey, if you've never invited Jesus into your heart, pray this prayer. And so at five years old, I was like, I've never done that before. And so I prayed the prayer along with this lady's voice at the end of this Christian sing-along tape. And I accepted what I knew of God at that point into my heart, my life. And I remember it very clearly because there was this, this warm feeling in my heart. But the thing is, if you could analyze, you know, my theological understanding as a five-year-old, it was basically that I knew there was a God and I wanted him in my life. That's about all I understood. Later on as a child, um, I remember being so moved in a church service. We would go to church almost every Sunday. And, and one church service, my pastor showed some clips from a Jesus movie. And the clips showed Jesus's vlogging and crucifixion and death on the cross. And then later his resurrection And for me, it was this huge moment in my life because my whole life I had heard this statement and even memorized that Jesus died for your sins. It's like I had memorized that statement and that's all it was. That's all it went to. And I didn't understand what it actually meant that he died and how he died and that it was for me. And that moved me so much when I clicked. Oh man, like that's how much God loves me. That soon after that, I decided I really wanted to be baptized with this renewed understanding of what it is God did for me. He died for me, and I accepted his gift of life. And yet, from that point on, through most of middle school, for the most part, I was what people would call a Sunday Christian. So, what did being a Christian mean? It meant you go to church, (laughs) and you're learning the Bible, We'd also have Bible story time in the mornings. But then basically, uh, what the, when that Bible story time ended is when, like, for, on a practical level, that's when Christianity was over for the day for me. And I just went about my, living my life the way all my friends lived their lives. And it wasn't until the summer after eighth grade when I went to summer camp, I started being challenged with this idea that, no, if Jesus is Lord, that he's not just Lord of Sundays, And he's not just Lord of the Bible and Bible story time. Like, he's supposed to be Lord of every single day and every single moment of every single day. And through high school, I was 
trained through my youth group to think of my relationship with Jesus this way and, and to kind of hold up the pieces of my life and, and to submit more and more of those to Jesus. My everyday life is like, oh, it's not just a Sunday thing. And then I went to a Christian college and I was a biblical studies major and I took lots of theology classes. And there was this thing where my behavior had come more into alignment during high school, but my beliefs were not. Everything that then, I don't believe all those things now. I was challenged significantly in college, and my, my understanding of what the Christian faith even is was deeply challenged. So why am I kind of summarizing uh, 22 years of my life at the start of this message? Because for me, it's hard for me to pinpoint. What is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And if you said, like, Luke, when did you become a Christian? I would struggle to give you an answer. Was it at five years old when I committed my life to God? Was it later when I actually understood what it meant that Jesus died for me? Was it when I realized that it was not just about Sunday, but all of life, and I committed that to Jesus too? Was it when my, my behavior started lining up with my beliefs? Or was it not until I understood theologically and got some misunderstandings corrected. When did you become a Christian, Luke? It's hard to say. And many people I've talked to have a similar journey of faith where there's lots of steps along the way. And if you say, are you a Christian? It's like, yes, that's an easy answer. Yes, I am. But if you try to say, when did that happen? What point in time? It can be difficult to pinpoint. Now, this is crazy for a number of reasons. Uh, but the, the reason why it's so crazy is because, I mean, if this is our calling, if, if the church community is a gathering of Christians, it's a gathering of what? Yeah, but well, what is a Christian? It's a gathering of people who have done what? Or have believed what? Or entrusted themselves to who? Like, what, what is it a gathering of? <laughs> what does it mean to be a Christian? Can you go to that next slide, um, Rick? why this is important. Um, how can we be faithful Christians if we're not clear on what it is we're called to be? And then, and secondly, like the Bible makes it clear, I think most of us would agree, that we're, we're called to share our faith with others, to make more of whatever it is we are. But if we don't know what it is we are, <laughs> how can we effectively make more of us? and recruit other people and invite them to join us. You see why this is an important question? What is a Christian? Is a Christian someone who has experienced forgiveness? Is a Christian someone who has entrusted their life to God? Or do you have to also entrust your life to Jesus, not just God? It gets a little confusing when you try and nail it down, doesn't it? And if we don't, aren't clear on this, then we won't be clear and on the same page about what is we're called to do in our everyday lives, and we won't be clear on what it is we're inviting others to. So this is a fundamental question. It's a foundational question. And I believe some people actually have rejected Christianity, not because of Christianity, but because they had a wrong answer to this question. What does it mean to be a Christian? Oh, apparently that means you have to believe this thing, and I don't believe that thing. Or maybe for some people in our world, they say, oh, being a Christian must mean you have to be politically conservative. <laughs> and if you're not politically conservative, you can't be a Christian. 
And I'm not politically conservative, so I guess I can't be a Christian. What is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? So today, we just want to go back to this foundational question. And my heart is just to say, how did Jesus answer this? How did Jesus define things? What did Jesus invite people to do when it comes to his relationship with them? What does he invite us to do? And what is it we're supposed to do for others? And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Luke 5. Uh, While you're flipping over there, just some background. Uh, Luke gets his name from the writer of this book. Um, It was a a physician, a doctor in the first century named Luke, um, whom I was partly named after. I think I was also named after Luke Skywalker. Uh, Double double naming thing, I'm pretty sure. But at least partly for the gospel writer, uh, Luke. And Luke was a physician, a doctor, and he later became a follower of Jesus. And he set about to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus. And he used eyewitnesses as well as other written documents that had already been formed. Probably, we think, like the gospel of Mark. The gospel of Mark probably came first. Luke was actually reading this and using this and referencing this, as well as interviewing other white eyewitnesses to say, what is this amazing thing has taken place? And what, who is Jesus? What does he invite us to do? So Luke chapter 5. Here's what it says. And if you have little headings, you'll see this. The heading says the first disciples or the calling of the first disciples. It says this, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word. So pause what's happening. Jesus is going around these villages teaching the good news about the kingdom of God. And he's growing in popularity very, very, uh, very, very quickly. And so he goes to this village and he's speaking, he's preaching. He's standing by the Lake Gennesaret, which is a synonym for the Sea of Galilee. So he's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in this village preaching. And he saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out little from the land. So again, you just have to picture this. There's so many people and they're so crowded. Jesus, can you just imagine him like kind of getting pushed back into the water a little bit? Because there's so many people and they want to hear what Jesus has to say in there like can't hear so they're pushing forward they're surging forward and Jesus is backing up in the lake he's like hey guys can I borrow one of your boats please to preach from and so Jesus gets into one of the boats and then he begins to preach to the crowd from the boat verse 4 when he had finished speaking he said to Simon oh that's one of the boat owners he said to Simon put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Uh, You got to read between the lines here because it makes the story so much funnier because there's a lot of humor actually in the Gospels. Peter's a fisherman. He grew up, uh, sorry, he's not Peter yet. He's just Simon. He hasn't been renamed yet. So Simon's a fisherman. He grew up as a fisherman. He knows on the Sea of Galilee, you fish at night. When the fish come to the surface of the water and they're there, that's when you fish. That's what they've been doing all night long, and they've caught this many fish. So they've had their whole work day already. They were in the midst of actually cleaning up, washing their nets, which is a big chore, when Jesus came along and heard him teach. And you can just picture them for a while. Oh, this is kind of cool. While we clean our nets, we get to hear this famous rabbi preach. Great. 
He's like, oh, can I borrow your boat? It's like, fine, rabbi. And then Jesus is like, hey, you know that net you just cleaned? Can you get it dirty again? <laughs> Throw it in the water and go fishing. And they're like, hey, it's daytime. There are no fish, Jesus, right? Clearly, you're not a fisherman. <laughs> and B, that's even embarrassing. Like, I have some fisherman friends on shore who are watching us. And they're going to be, like, cracking up at us, throwing our net out here in the middle of the day. Because you said so, I'll do it. If you say so, I'll let down the nets. If you insist, Rabbi. Verse 6. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish. And their net actually began to tear because there were so many fish. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he knew this is not natural. Something extraordinary is going on. And he said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners in the other boat. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. And then they brought the boat to land. They left everything and they followed him. They followed him. Here's the fascinating thing when you go back through the New Testament and through these Gospels and look at how Jesus related people and what he invited them to and how he worked with them. Uh, First thing is that actually if you study Jesus' words, you cannot find a case where he ever said the word Christian. Jesus never used that word. Uh, The reason is because it hadn't been invented yet. It actually comes from Acts chapter 11. Book of Acts records the stuff that happened after Jesus died and rose again and the development and growth of the early church. And so Acts 11.26 tells us that it was in a place called Antioch where Jesus never even went while he was alive that the disciples and the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. It wasn't until 10, 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection that the word Christian even became invented. And so the first thing we learn is actually Jesus didn't invite anyone to be a Christian. But what did he invite them to? Well, you saw it here. To follow him and to be his disciple. And so we want to focus on what, what did Jesus mean by that? And how did that process work? Here's the second thing we see is that The step in following Jesus of committing yourself to him is important, so important, but it's not actually the first step. If you have your Bible and why I invited you to open it today is because I wanted you to realize that there's actually more to this story. If you skip back just one chapter, you find out that this is not the first time that Simon met Jesus. Did you realize that? Simon knew Jesus before he let Jesus borrow his boat and before Jesus called him to follow him and be his disciple. You go back to Luke chapter 4, you know, one chapter previous, the things that happened earlier. Verse 31 says, Then Jesus went down to Capernaum. Capernaum is the town where Peter and James and John are all from. That's their town. He went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. 
And they were astonished at Jesus' teaching because his message had authority. Pause. Who's probably there? All respectable Jewish men would have been in the synagogue on the Sabbath day studying scripture together. And so Simon would have been there hearing this rabbi speak and preach. So would have James and John. And they would have seen what happened next. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone! What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of the man without hurting him at all. Amazement came over all the people. And it would over us too, right? This is crazy stuff. Our church services don't tend to be like that, right? If that happened on Sunday morning, wouldn't we all be in amazement? Like, what is going on? And all the people are saying to one another, what is this message? For this man commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. They listen and they obey. And news about Jesus began to go out to every place in the vicinity. So they hear Jesus preach, They see him perform this miracle, and then look at what happens next. The next verse, 38. After Jesus left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law had been suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her, and so he stood over her. He rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. And it goes on to tell the other things Jesus did in that town of Capernaum, and then how after that, he went to other towns, preached there, and then later came back, and that's when he preached from the shore and borrowed Simon's boat. Isn't this interesting? Did you know this? This was news to me when I began studying. Like, I had always just heard that story of, like, Jesus said, follow me, and they left their nets and followed him. The end. (laughs) But there's more to the story. Simon heard Jesus preach in the synagogue saw him heal and cast a demon out of a guy, invited him over to his house to heal his mother-in-law. Then on another occasion, heard Jesus teach from the shore, let Jesus borrow his boat, experienced a miraculous catch of fish. Then Jesus said, Simon, follow me, and I will make you into a fisherman. And that's when Simon left everything and followed Jesus. And my point is this. Commitment. That's what we're seeing in the story. When Simon committed to Jesus. That's such an important step. But it was not the first step for Simon. And it's not the first step for most of us when it comes to following Jesus. It starts with just finding out more. It starts with information gathering. Who is this Jesus and what is he about? And it's amazing to me how much evidence... Simon had at this point before Jesus said, follow me, commit to me, join me. And so when it comes to what is this thing of Christianity, what I want us to see is whatever it is, it's a process. It's a process. It's not an event. It's a process of learning more about Jesus and eventually committing to him And also, I love this. I'm taking this from a pastor named Andy Stanley. He talks about how, like, being a sinner does not disqualify you. In fact, it's a prerequisite. 
for following Jesus. Did you catch what Simon said during this miraculous catch of fish? Depart from me, I am a sinful man. And Jesus says, hey, you, sinful man, follow me. He has say, clean up your act, then you can follow me. Get it together, Simon. As you are, right where you are, you follow me. Not change and you can join me, but join me, and over time you will change. Being a sinner does not disqualify you. Being an unbeliever doesn't even disqualify you. You are welcome to come and learn more. So I want to share with you a little bit to flesh this out about this first century thing called discipleship. When Jesus invited Simon to follow him and to be his disciple, Simon had a clear understanding of what that meant and what kind of relationship Jesus was inviting him to. Because there were lots of rabbis in the first century who had disciples. This was like a system of education that was practiced and seen, and people knew what it entailed. And I can't get too in-depth into this. Um, If we were in my CCU New Testament class, we would nerd out for like an hour on this. But I won't do that. I will spare you some of this uh, and just give you the basics. The basics is this. Uh, Many famous rabbis had disciples in the first century. And Jesus was seen as a famous rabbi who was also collecting disciples. If you were lucky enough to be a disciple of a rabbi, you had one job to do. Become like your rabbi. That was your job. And here's how you would go about doing that. You would follow them. I heard that. Thank you. You would follow them. And you would follow them literally. They're walking to another town. You follow them to that next town. You go behind them. They teach. And you listen to them teach. And you do your best to memorize everything they say. But not only that, you watch everything they do because the idea was that a rabbi's set of teaching was not just something to be understood, but a, but a way to live your life with God as your Father and your Lord. It, it was an embodied teaching that you were trying to absorb and then practice yourself. So you would watch how your rabbi would eat his meals and the prayers he would say, and then you would say those same prayers and eat in the same way. And you would watch how your rabbi treated people, and you would start treating people the same way. It's life imitation. And that's what we see. If you start leafing through the Gospels, this is what you see Simon doing. Jesus eventually gives him a new name, Peter. The Rock. And Peter and the other disciples do this for three years. They follow Jesus literally. Everywhere he goes, they're trying to memorize his teaching and their goal is life imitation. We want to become like Jesus. Can you put that um, Jewish blessing up, Rick? This is a, a Jewish blessing from around this time period. And it says, may you follow your rabbi, drink in his words, and be covered in his dust. I love this. Your goal, the mark of a good disciple is what? They're covered in their rabbi's dust. The rabbi is walking along, and you're walking along so closely, right behind your rabbi, that you get covered in the dust kicked up from the road, from your rabbi. That's what it means to be a good disciple. Follow your rabbi wherever they go and to seek to become like them, to internalize their teaching and to memorize it 
and to more and more not just believe it, but live that way. So I would say, what is our answer? How did Jesus define things? Jesus didn't invite anyone to be a Christian, but he invited everyone to follow him. Before they were even committed to him, he invited them to follow him, to learn from him, and to consider what he was teaching. And then at some point on that journey, he said, now would you commit to me? Would you be my disciple? Would you continue learning from me, but now with the goal of becoming like me? I think we also have a quote from C.S. Lewis on there, Rick. Can you put that one up? I love this, and I think he's right on. C.S. Lewis is the author of uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, as well as Mere Christianity. It's a quote that's actually from Mere Christianity, this kind of presentation of the Christian faith and what it's all about. And he wrote that the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christs. And if they aren't doing that, then all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. C.S. Lewis is saying at the heart of the message of the Bible is an invitation to follow Jesus. And as you do that, God works on you from the inside out and helps you to become like your Lord and Savior, like your master, Jesus. And that everything we do should be pointing to that purpose. And if it's not working towards that, we might not be doing the right things as a church. The calling of life is to follow Jesus. The calling of life is to follow Jesus. If he leads you somewhere, you go there. If he's teaching you something, you seek to learn that lesson. If he asks you to do something, you seek by his power to do it. The calling of life is to simply follow him. And there's lots of stages on this journey and there's challenges and obstacles and all of us have our own story, but the calling is the same, to follow. That's what it means to be a disciple. For us to spend time with Jesus and to learn from him with the goal of over time becoming like him. So kids, I have a question for you. How many of you have uh, seen the old Peter Pan movie where they sing the song, We're Following the Leader? You've seen that? I know my kids have. Thank you, kids. <laughs> Some of our big kids raise their hands too. Like, great. Uh, we're following the leader wherever he may go, right? That, that great song. Uh, kids, have any of you played the game where you play follow the leader and the person in front has to do something and everyone else has to do the same thing? You guys have ever played that game? All right. Some of you guys have played the game. What, what, what's your favorite move? Like, actually just stand up and show it off. Like, if you were in the front of the line, what would your move be? Yeah, come on. I see you shaking your head now, Hannah. Come on, show, us, show it off. Adam, yeah, what, what were you doing? What are you doing? Let me see. Like that? Okay, like, I like it. Good, yeah. Uh, it's a fun game. Whoever's in front, right, they do whatever they want, and everyone else has to do their best to copy it. And you're singing a song. We're following the leader. And so uh, I want us all, this is silly, but we're going to sing together, and this is a way of doing something with our bodies that hopefully will internalize this idea into our heart. That's the whole point. No, it's kind of silly, but I would love to invite you to change the lyrics with me to this. So kids, we're going to sing, We're Following King Jesus Wherever He May Go. Okay? You ready? We're following King Jesus, King Jesus, King Jesus. We're following King Jesus wherever he may go. Nice. You guys have great voices. I wanted to stop singing and just listen to you. That was beautiful. 
That's the calling of the Christian life, to follow King Jesus wherever he may go. It's that simple. And at some point in all of our journeys of doing that, he'll ask you to commit to him. And that's such an important and key moment, and we want to celebrate that. And that's a beautiful moment. But what I want us to see today is that if we just focus on that, we might lose, lose perspective on the fact that all of us, if you've been a Christian for 56 years, guess what your calling is? Follow Jesus. And if you have doubts and questions and you're not sure where you are with Jesus, the invitation is follow Jesus. And so I want to talk about our process for encouraging this here at Creekside for a minute. Uh, if you go out in the foyer, you'll see a little thing that says next steps. It says consider, connect, collaborate. This should look very familiar. If it doesn't, you've been closing your eyes as you walk through the foyer, and I want to encourage you to open your eyes when you walk around. Um, but this is our next steps wall, and you can see these uh, right out there when you, when you leave today. This is like a simplification of where we think people might be when it comes to Jesus, and how instead of saying, hey, you know, you should be over there, we want to do our best as a church to meet people where they are and to help them just take that one next step a little closer to Jesus. And so within each of these, we have actually broken down even further. So consider, that involves exploring before you even commit, just like Simon did, right? Jesus' first invitation was not commit to me. His first invitation was just come to synagogue like you normally do and listen to this rabbi. And then Simon asked him to heal his mother-in-law and he saw that and he heard Jesus teach again. It starts with information gathering. And so at Creekside, our main way of doing this is Alpha. Alpha's coming up in just over a month. Monday, September 12th is the first night of Alpha. Alpha is a series of conversations about life, faith, and meaning. And it's specifically designed to be an accommodating um, conversation for those who don't consider themselves Christians. So we don't meet here. We meet at Isabel's Coffee Shop. Because the kind of people we want to invite to Alpha, if you say come to church, they're going to say no. <laughs> That's the kind of people we want to meet where they are and just begin this conversation and say, hey, here's what Christians believe about God and the meaning of life. What do you believe? And give them a safe place to discuss and explore, to find out more. That's what Alpha is about. Uh, commit is what we celebrate whenever we have baptisms. It's when someone has chosen to follow Jesus with their life, like we saw Simon in this story. And we celebrate that with baptism, and it's a beautiful moment. And we do want to celebrate that. It's such a key moment that we're celebrating. A commit when you've chosen to follow Jesus with your life. Worship is what we're doing right now. We gather on Sundays to sing songs together, be, to be united in praise and worship and celebrate what God has done. Where we open scripture together and seek to understand it and apply it to our lives. Like we talked about last week, when Jesus talked about salt and how you have to be careful and not let the salt lose its saltiness, lose its taste. That's what happens on Sunday mornings. We're trying to work together, to discern scripture together and let God work in us so we don't lose our saltiness. Next up, connect, is our connection groups. Happen next door and during the week. And these are places of community and fellowship. The biggest goal of connection groups is not actually education. It's the sharing of our lives to share what's going on in your life and for you to share that with others and for us to grow in community and relationship. And then also to be 
holding each other accountable to apply the things we're learning. The next step is learn. That involves classes. So we differentiate between groups and classes, right? Groups are about community. Classes are about learning. So we have different classes. Uh, We hope to do, like, for example, financial peace this fall. That's not so much for the purpose of community. That's for the purpose of learning how to handle your finances. Or when we do IQ Church and talk about these different topics, that's, that's for loving God with our minds, I, mostly. And then serve. I think of Jesus' words when he said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. And when Jesus invites us to follow him, he's actually inviting us to a life of selflessness and to pour ourselves out in service to others. So at some point, we believe God will call you to serve others actively. And the last one is more optional. Lead, that's for those who feel a specific calling to missions or to ministry. And if that's you, and if you experience that calling, we want to do our best to equip you to lead those ministries or to lead in that way well. So explore, commit, worship, connect, learn, serve, lead. What we do at Creekside and why we do it is our heart is to help people take their next step. If they're open to exploring the Christian faith, we want to get them into Alpha. If they've chosen to follow Jesus, we want to encourage them to get baptized. If they've been baptized, we want to encourage them to gather with us on Sunday mornings. If you've been joining us on Sunday mornings for a long time, we want to encourage you to get involved in a group. Do you guys see? We want to help people take their next step. Now, let me just say this, because I know some of you are struggling with this. Every person is different, and their faith journey is different. This is the most natural progression, but it is not the only progression. For example, some people are wired just to be more cerebral. And if that's you, you may jump all the way to learn step five before you're ready to commit because you have so many doubts and questions and you need to get those questions answered and addressed before you're ready to say yes. And that's okay. If that's where you are and how you work, that's totally fine. Some people jump into serving right away. Great. Awesome. Do that. But don't skip over these other things and think you don't need them. Or some people have been following Jesus for years and have been Christians for years and then all Or someone in their family starts questioning and doubting, and it causes them to start questioning and doubting. Like, oh, I've never thought about that question before. Like, that's an important question. I don't know how I never thought about it, but I never did. And now it's kind of bugging me. And you may be worshiping for years, but you never actually went through the explore phase. And you may actually have to revisit that step at some point in your faith journey. That's fine. That's great. Wherever you are, we want to invite you to take your next step. And so where are we going as a church? In prayer and in meeting with our leadership team, uh, we feel like God is calling us to do primarily two things. One of those things is an inward focus and one is an outward focus for how we want to serve our community. I'm going to be talking about that outward focus in coming weeks, but our inward focus is really our heart is to help make this happen. Our heart is discipleship, helping people take their next step in faith. And so that's our heart for you. We want to invite you to take your next step in faith. And so you're going to start hearing us speak differently and measure different things. For years and years at our church, we have measured giving, 
baptisms, and worship attendance. Now, those are fine things to measure because what are we measuring if you think about it? Commitment, baptisms, and worship attendance. And then giving, I don't know if that works for serving or something, that, that works somewhere in there. But those are the things we, we measure. And that's really all we've been measuring and focusing on. And those are not bad things to measure, but we feel like that's not enough. We don't want to be content with 300 people here, but kind of stuck at that step and not moving on. And so what we've said is, by the end of the year 2025, we want to have not, we're probably like 92 people today. We don't want to have 92 people in groups. We want to have 200 people in connection by the end of 2025. That is our vision, our inward aspect of our vision as a church community. We want to be a place that doesn't settle for Sunday morning attendance, but we work to help people take their next step and connect with others. And hopefully not stop there. We want to start measuring these other things too, but this is a good starting point. Let's get people connected together. And so that's kind of one of our inward focuses. And so today, as you consider that, I want you to consider where are you when it comes to Jesus? Which of these steps would you say you're at? Which of them did you maybe skip over that you need to actually consider returning to? If you just put your shoes, put yourself in the shoes of Simon and just picture that Jesus is saying, follow me. And I want you to consider what is the next step for you to do that, to be faithful. Because this is a spiritual journey that never ends. Unless you're totally like Jesus. If you're 100% like Jesus, you're done. Congratulations. Um, I know I have a long way to go on that journey. So some questions for reflection and application for you. How do you tend to define Christianity? If someone says, are you a Christian? And you say yes, my question for you to consider is, what are you saying yes to? What is that working definition in your head or heart? Because how you answer that question will affect how you live your life and how you think about what it is we're doing here and how you gauge how important connection groups and service and things like that are. How do you tend to find Christianity? What do you tend to celebrate in other people's journeys with Jesus? I just grew up in a church commit, uh, tradition that we celebrated that moment of commitment. And that's about all we celebrated. And that makes sense. It's a really big deal. It's important. It's worth celebrating. But I, I, I would love for us to become a church that celebrates every next step. Someone has never given before and they started giving a percentage of their income. That's a big deal. That's a sign that something's going on in their heart and an area of their life that they're beginning to surrender to Jesus. They hadn't before. We should celebrate that too. Someone starts going to group and starts sharing what's really going on in their life, taking off their mask and letting people see the real them. That's a big deal. That is worth celebrating. Someone has never served before and they're stepping out of faith and they're freaked out and they're intimidated, but they're choosing to serve others. That's a big deal. We want to celebrate that too. So what do you tend to celebrate in other people's journey with Jesus? And again, where are you? And what is your next step? Over the next few weeks as we continue to explore this, 
not just our process, but how Jesus did things and how he defined things and what he called us to. I want us to keep coming back to this question. What is your next step? If it's just to continue to come on Sunday and that's where you are, that is great. Do that. Whatever your next step is, I want to encourage you to take it. I have to be honest, when we came up with this idea of we want to see 200 people in groups by the end of 2025, my initial thought was like, that's impossible. (laughs) Uh, That's more than twice as many people that we have on a Sunday morning in groups. So like, yeah, no, I don't think so. And I was challenged with, um, like as a church, we should probably have like God-sized goals not human-sized ones. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And um, what I love about this vision is it's one that I feel like I cannot do on my own, do our own. The only way we will work towards this and get there is with God-sized help, is if we lean on God and pray for God to work and trust Him to work and partner with Him and are willing to cooperate with Him. And isn't that fitting? Because that's the whole Christian life. The danger of saying, hey, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, the end, is I might leave you with the impression that it's all on you. And that could not be further from the truth. It's follow Jesus and simultaneously, if you feel any desire to do that, guess what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. Who Jesus says like the wind blowing blowing you towards Jesus and Christ-likeness and working in your heart. And if someone's open to coming to Alpha, we believe at the core, that's because the Holy Spirit, John 16, 8 says, is convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And there's something going on in their heart. And that's not because of us, that's because of the Spirit. And so we want to partner with the Spirit in that work. We don't want to fight against that one. We want to to partner with it. All of these steps and wherever you are, you know, if you feel like something like, ooh, there's that thing that I don't want to confess, but I know I probably need to. That's the Spirit bringing stuff up, nudging you forward with Jesus. And please, can I just say, like, let's not fight that work, but cooperate with it. This is not self-help. This is God-help. And if there's any spiritual growth, we know it becomes only first and foremost because of God doing his thing. And so as we close today in song, as you are considering what your next step is, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up and we're going to sing together. And I hope not just sing together, but pray together, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Take this next step that I'm scared to take, I need you. So maybe invite my neighbor to Alpha, I need you. To confess that thing that has been unconfessed, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. We want to lean on God's help and look to him as we consider what our next step is. So let me pray for us, and we'll sing together. And while we're singing, if this brought up something in your heart and life that you just either need to talk about or would like prayer specifically for, I'd be happy to pray with you and talk with you. Um, Jake and I will be in that back corner. Um, Be honored to do that. Um, But do now seek the Holy Spirit and his help and ask God to help you take your next step of faith. So Jesus, I thank you. 
that it's not on us to totally define moment by moment what this, what this thing is. It's on us to simply obey your call, to follow you. And God, I know every person here maybe has a different path and is at a different place. We all have different backgrounds and, and things that have happened to us that make it difficult for us to move forward. And God, I, I thank you that you know all of that. And you're so gracious and patient with us. You're so gracious and patient with me. Thank you. Jesus, would you help me? Would you help us take our next step with you? Would you create in us even the desire to do that? Would you create in us a longing to get rid of anything that might get in the way of that? And if there's something we need to talk to, something we need to confess, would you help us do that through your power, through your spirit? God, help us to lean on you as we seek to follow you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.